A few months before Phoebe Wagner started a new semester teaching creative writing at Lycoming College, where she herself studied, she tells us that she was so mentored and trained there that stepping into her fiction professor's shoes was both an honor and a little nerve-wracking, mainly because she knew she'd be a different type of professor than he was. She explains, One loose rule her mentor kept about his workshops was no genre writing. He was teaching us to be literary writers. Then I came along and only wanted to write speculative fiction and convinced him that's what I should be writing. First, he read a piece of literary fiction I wrote. Then he read a piece of fantasy I wrote. And I think he understood that my passion for the genre made me a better writer. I don't intend to continue with this rule, and I hope to teach students to write in multiple fiction genres. Nobody should be forced to limit themselves to a single genre, whether it's science fiction or literary fiction. Even so, I understand his rule. It forced students to wrestle with the current world and use what they have around them. In my experience as a student, that prompted a lot of stories about divorce, sex work, homelessness, and coming out. The students were digging into what they had experienced or witnessed, and in certain cases, had been sensationalized by the news. And I get why that sense of concreteness can be useful to a young student, even if it's not what they want to write in the moment. When some of those students changed their topic to a fantasy story, it became less concrete and helpful to them as young writers. What I'm getting at is that I understand that a young writer's divorce story can be just as unhelpful as another student writing about a princess in a tower story. One is not better or more helpful to a young writer if there's nothing there other than going through the motions, which can be good enough practice on its own occasionally. Looking back on the stories I wrote during that time, some of which have since been published, it becomes clear to me what I was wrestling with. Back then, I had very little interest in writing literary fiction because my childhood had been limited to poverty, a low-level cult, homeschooling, and disability. I didn't know how to write about those topics in a way that made for a good story, not in terms of literary fiction, but I was able to talk about some of it through fantasy. In my first fiction workshop, the first fantasy story I wrote for my mentor was called Trickster Shop and introduced the character Mary, a young woman trying to gain power by making deals with the gods. Over the course of a handful of workshops and an honors project, I wrote a collection of stories detailing her struggles with misogynistic patriarchal gods and the sacrifices they demanded. Sometimes she outsmarted the gods, but usually they overpowered her. Even so, in the last story I wrote during that time, she was full of power, tattooed by Odin, a follower of Loki, with a quick-draw magic system based on the runes she had researched over a decade of searching for power. At 19, I could not have dealt with my understanding and current situation of still being in a low-level cult through literary fiction. Some writers could have, but not me. I needed that filter, that distance, especially since I was still drinking the Kool-Aid until I was in my mid-20s. Of course, inspiration doesn't have to come from trauma or life experience, but I hope my students wrestle with something on the page. 
I want them to understand it's not just about a beginning, middle, and end, the divorce plot or the princess in a tower plot. I want them to find the heart, purpose, drive, reason, struggle, push of their fiction and to keep at it. That from a web posting in April 2021 by Phoebe Wagner, who is an author, editor, and an assistant professor of creative writing at Lycoming College in Williamsport. Dr. Wagner is the editor of three solar punk anthologies with a recent novella titled When We Hold Each Other Up and a newly released novel, A Shot of Gin from Parliament House. Dr. Wagner is an active participant in the speculative fiction community, holding membership to the science fiction and fantasy writers of America. And Halloween is a perfect time for a launch of her novel, A Shot of Gin, as we'll come to understand. There will be a book signing and dance party and more through the 31st of October. We had a chance to speak by phone with Phoebe Wagner about her new novel and the whole concept of solar punk. Solar punk is a subgenre of science fiction and fantasy that sort of directly addresses the climate change experiences that we're having now. I think summer in central Pennsylvania really demonstrated how even here we're going to be feeling these influences, whether it's wildfire smoke from Canada or just the bizarre heat waves we're having even this late into October. But one of the things that makes solar punk unique from other forms of environmental literature is that solar punk is thinking about hopeful futures. And it's really responding to the idea that if we only imagine terrible things happening in the future with dystopias like Mad Max, Fury Road, for instance, which is a film I love, but is very much imagining a dark future. If we only imagine that dark future, then what are we going to work towards? We need to be imagining hopeful futures alongside those, even though we're acknowledging that climate change is going to impact our everyday life, just as we experience this summer. So solar punk is usually set in a near future setting, so anywhere from five years in the future to 200 years in the future, and explores what happens when climate change impacts communities and how can communities adapt and take care of each other in those moments and really create something better out of our society in the face of climate change. And as you say that, though, the stories are compelling, the characters are compelling, these writings aren't didactic. No, definitely not. I think that's one reason why it's in science fiction fantasy is that it's supposed to be fun, right? You know, there's this aspect of entertainment that comes with all science fiction and fantasy as part of the genre, right? There's that's part of the, the fun of getting to write in it. So solar punk is certainly enjoyable, and a lot of it is thinking about bringing fun into these moments. You know, the punk aspect is important when we think about that. Punk, even when it's nihilistic, is still fun in some way or another, even if dealing with these sort of darker emotions. And solar punk really leans into that, where we can still find these enjoyable experiences, these entertaining reads, but also help us think differently about our future and what that might mean for our communities in the face of adapting to climate change. And you've been writing in shorter forms up to this novel. And what brought you to the brink where you say, yeah, I'm ready to write a a full novel? Uh, That's a great question. So really, as much as I've published quite a few short stories, my heart has always been with novels. I had to really teach myself how to write short fiction, how to fall in love with short fiction. I wrote my first novel when I was 13 years old, which barely counts as a novel, but it was certainly long enough to be one. Um, So I've always thought of myself as a novelist first and then came to short fiction second. 
But publishing short fiction is a lot easier than publishing a novel. So that's kind of how I got my short fiction out there. Um, But my heart's always been with novels. So I'm so excited to have my first one coming out into the world. We are going to learn soon that you set this novel in Reno, Nevada. And we want to know, if you don't mind telling us, what took you as a person to Reno Yeah, so I fell in love with Reno the first time I visited it, and I ended up there because I received my Ph.D. in literature from the University of Nevada, Reno. And I still have distinct memories of driving into Reno for the first time when I was visiting the university and how immediately I just felt that this was a city for me, uh, that I was going to spend time here and enjoy it. And I was really excited to hang out in Reno and get to spend that time there. I never felt at home in a city as much as I love cities. Um, I especially love whenever I get a chance to visit Philadelphia. But I never felt at home in a city until I got to Reno. As someone who is concerned with the environment, what about the climate and the general landscape topography drew you to Reno? Because it's different from central Pennsylvania, certainly. Oh, absolutely. And I think actually in some ways it was the similarities to central Pennsylvania, particularly the Susquehanna River Valley where I grew up that made me feel at home in Reno. I had spent the three years previous living in Ames, Iowa, which was very flat and where the water was um, really poisoned by the large agriculture there because of the nitrogen runoff. And so the flatness and the problems with the water really made me sad. Like it definitely was not an environment that I thrived in. And when we first, when I first drove into Reno, granted the mountains are a lot bigger, but it's a basin, it's a valley, and there's a very large river that runs right through town. And so even though it was a high desert, so arid, and there, there was no humidity, which was quite a change, and the trees were totally different. But at the same time, being in that sort of mountainous landscape with these great sources of fresh water, one of them being Tahoe, I felt very much at home in a lot of ways. The wildfire season is certainly an experience, and I was in a shock that I wasn't quite ready for, though clearly we're going to be experiencing wildfire season in some form or fashion here in Pennsylvania as well. You have this affinity for Reno, and you say, I have a story to tell, and Reno seems like a very good place to situate the tale. How do the two go together? Absolutely. So I think of myself very often as a place-based writer. And so I have stories that are set in Iowa. I have stories set in Pennsylvania. And so finding a place that felt appropriate for me was step one. And one of the things was I was kind of under some pressure from my job. I knew that I had five years I was going to be in a PhD program. And then after that, if I was going to be competitive to try and become a professor in creative writing, I really needed to have a book out, preferably published and out in the world. And so I kind of looked around Reno and This was my first time living in a city, and it seemed like it was a perfect spot for an urban fantasy. Urban fantasy is a subgenre of science fiction and fantasy that is obviously urban, set in a city, and focuses on this, like, sort of folklorish creatures like vampires and fairies, werewolves, sort of out in the world. The HBO show True Blood is an example, though it's not as urban as a lot of them. And so it seemed like this was a great chance for me. I love urban fantasy, and I was living in a city to write in a subgenre where I felt like I'd have to be living in a city in order to do it accurately. And after that, it was really a matter of seeing what I thought what would fit in Reno. And with it being such a 24-hour city because of the casino influence, it seemed like it'd be a great spot for vampires, you know. Um, there's grocery stores open 24-7. There's always bars open. And it seemed like this would, there was, there was going to be vampires living anywhere. Reno, Nevada would be one of the spots. When you set about creating your vampires, 
you can't do it without being under the shadow of the grandest vampire of them all, Dracula. Mm-hmm. How did you navigate that tradition of vampires? Obviously, there were other vampires than Dracula, but what did you do as a writer? How are your vampires Phoebe Wagner vampires? Yeah, and I and I love Dracula. Like there's there's so many things I love about vampires and you're right. There's so many so much vampire fiction stemming from that early work as well as like Carmilla and even earlier vampire story that you really have to figure out how are you going to differentiate yourself? And one of the things I did there was I focused in on what does a vampire look like with the influence of Reno, Nevada. So there's the silver rush that happened in Reno and also the influence of being in the Southwest and cowboys, the gold rush over to California. And um, Nevada is so much in the center of all of that, in addition to nuclear testing and the impact that that had on Nevada. So there we're looking at a more, much more recent history. So often we think of vampires as these sort of ancient European powers. And I really wanted to flip that on its head. So my vampire, that's one of the main characters in the book, Colton, he runs the All Saints Casino in Reno, Nevada, and he was turned during the Nevada Silver Rush. So he's just around 100 years old, um, which is, of course, pretty different from some of the older vampires we're used to seeing in things like Dracula. And he was a cowboy, and he continues to be a cowboy and, like, rides a horse in the high desert of Nevada. And so I was really thinking... How can I flip some of the traditional ideas of vampires' age, of their power, of their Western European descent, and change that in terms of what does it mean to be a Nevadan vampire growing up in these histories of, of capitalism with the silver rush or our ideas of power and energy with the nuclear testing? What did you think when you were going to try to name the book? Did you write it first, or did you have a working title as you went along, Shot of Gin? Yeah, you know, titles are really hard for me. I've been lucky so far that I haven't had to change one yet. The publishers have liked my titles. A Shot of Gin came really early, mainly because the main character's name is Gin, and her first name is Juniper, which is, of course, a plant that's in Nevada. And so she gets called Gin when she starts working at the casino because, of course, Juniper is part of how Gin is made. So that was just sort of a play on words that I had a lot of fun with. And Gin just sounds cool. Like I was, you know, it's an urban fantasy. There is this sort of sexy, cool vibe that a lot of urban fantasy novels have. And so once I had Gin as a character name, it just seemed reasonable to play around with that for the title, um, and A Shot of Gin sort of came to be. It's also, of course, a riff on the Johnny Cash song, I Shot a Man in Reno Just to Watch Him Die. So I was kind of playing around with the alcohol as well as playing around with Johnny Cash. What about the nuclear part of the story? We all just spent the summer making plans to go or to go back to see Oppenheimer. To what degree did you draw on the history of Nevada and the nuclear testing? Yeah, so quite a bit, though I don't want to give any spoilers away for the novel. So a lot of it, um, it definitely shows up there. One of the things I really wanted to push back on when I started to learn about the nuclear history of Nevada, um, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and so that was not something that I learned a lot about when I was in, you know, before college or during college, was this concept of Nevada being empty. Like, that's something I remember from my time in K-12 through as well as college, this idea that we were doing testing in a spot where people weren't going to be impacted, that it was an empty space, and it, that's why it was safe to test there. And then as I started to learn more about environmental issues in the U.S., and as I then moved to Nevada, I realized that was absolutely not the case, that there was indigenous people there, there were Mormons there, and there were Nevadans there, and that those people were impacted 
directly by those testings, and there is still a continuation of impact, whether it's physical, mental, or the ecosystems and how the ecosystems were were impacted in that area. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to show is that Nevada was not an empty state and that these histories of testing and nuclear power impacted the people there. And, of course, the entirety of the United States, you know, from the explosions, there was impact that went all the way over even into Pennsylvania. And so this is something that I wanted to play around with that history and show a different side of it and show, like, that the desert wasn't empty, that there were people and histories and ecosystems that were all impacted. What about the gambling aspect? You talked about the casinos. Is gambling as a metaphor part of it? Yeah, gambling was such a part of is such a part of Reno that it certainly is a part of the book as well. And the casino as a place in a in a location of community even plays a large part in the book. And I hope that by the end of the book the casino feels alive to the reader as it certainly does to Jin and then Colton as well. But gambling was something that I wanted to think about in terms of how precarious it can feel to live in Reno, Nevada. There's currently a housing crisis there. And housing is really expensive as well as hard to come by. In fact, I ended up living in Virginia City, which if you grew up watching Bonanza, that's where Bonanza references, but it's this sort of tourist spot as well as a a small community that's about 45 minutes outside of Reno. And that's where I ended up living the first time I moved there because I couldn't get a rental in the city. And so there's a precarity there and a feeling of you're just sort of you're gambling to try and make a living in Reno. And that's kind of where I leaned in on the gambling was this idea of precarity and trying to make your own way and make your own luck. Certainly there is gambling that happens because if you're writing a book about a casino, there's got to be some gambling. You've got to play around with that metaphor at least a little bit. But what I hope a reader takes away from it is how currently because of Reno going through a second boom largely due to tech and the lack of taxes compared to California, that a lot of people are really struggling and trying to make their lives work in a spot that really relies on luck. One other thing that people know about, are bordellos legal in Nevada? They are. <laughs> Not in this book. That is something that I certainly mention in the novel because, yes, is famously like HBO, I know, had a show, and famously so there's actually a great podcast on the subject as well. And so while it gets mentioned, it's not a centerpiece. There's something that if I do ever get to continue this series, it's certainly something I want to talk about more because it is an important part of people's livelihoods in Reno, Nevada, and sex work there has a different has a different connotation than it does in many other states because of different portions of it being legal. So while it doesn't make a huge splash in this novel, it's definitely something that's important to understanding Nevada, particularly Reno, and something that I hope to address down the line if I ever get to write a sequel. Do those of you who practice writing with these concerns about the environment and our world and all the issues that you raised, do you hope that any of your writings do get to become TV series or films so that there may even be a larger audience so that your concerns can be experienced by perhaps many others or a different audience? Yeah, absolutely. I think something I always have a sort of cinematic view of my work, and I really hope that someday I do get to see it translated onto the screen, mainly because you're right, it does end up getting you a bigger audience. And also there's a great a film or a TV show is so much more communal than writing a novel that I hope bringing in all these different voices could bring in a different perspective. I know there's certainly perspectives missing from A Shot of Gin, 
that as I hopefully continue to work on the series, I hope to bring in through my own research and through bringing in outside readers to help early on the process, particularly the Washoe people, which is one of the indigenous nations in Reno, Nevada, are mentioned throughout the book, but I don't have a great sense of perspective for them. And that's something where if there was a TV show or a movie or something filmed in Reno, there would just be a chance to bring in so much more so many more voices of the area. And that communal aspect, in addition to the fact that I do think the, the novel is written in a fun, cinematic way, really makes me hope that someday it will hit the little screen or the big screen. And you're inviting us to have a taste of the novel at some book events coming up. Tell us where you'll be and when we can have a taste of A Shot of Gin. Absolutely. Um, I will be signing at Auto Bookstore on October 28th, which is a Saturday from 1 to 3. If you are into goth wave music, the group Femme Vital in Williamsport will be holding a launch party for the book, as well as just a Halloween dance party, Costumes Encouraged, and that's going to be October 28th, starting around 10 p.m. I would check out their Instagram for all the details on that. And then, like coming college, we'll be holding an event through the Humanities Research Center here on campus on Halloween, because a part of the novel is set over Halloween. So on Halloween, which is Tuesday the 31st, at 3 o'clock, and there will be a signing there, books available for purchase, and I'll also be in discussion with a colleague of mine, Dr. Mary Kate O'Donnell, who is teaching a class currently on the biology of monsters. So we'll get into some of the vampires of the book and talk a little bit more about the book in addition to signing and reading from it. So those are the events I got going on right now for a shot of gin. It'd be great to see people out there. Do you have a personal website? Absolutely. So my personal website is phoebe-wagner.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram, which is linked through my website. Phoebe Wagner, author, editor, and assistant professor of creative writing at Lycoming College in Williamsport. Dr. Wagner is the editor of three solar punk anthologies with a recent novella titled When We Hold Each Other Up and the newly released novel A Shot of Gin. That comes from Parliament House Press and there will be a number of launch events, as we've just heard. A signing at Auto Bookstore on West 4th Street in Williamsport. That's tomorrow, October 28th, from 1 to 3. Also, a shot of gin with Femme Vital, October 28th, tomorrow night. And there will be a dance party and a signing. And that, she suggests, will get underway perhaps around 10 o'clock. But you can find details of that event on the Femme Vital Instagram page. And then a reading and signing at the Humanities Research Center on the campus of Lycoming College in Williamsport with a conversation. So that's Halloween October 31st at 3 in the afternoon. For more information on the web, phoebe-wagner.com, P-H-O-E-B-E-Wagner.com. The book is A Shot of Gin, and it was just published by Parliament House Press, and you can find out all the details, phoebe-wagner.com.